Well, we are in part three of our Chooser series, and we've just been looking at this concept of decision-making. Because guess what? When it all comes down, and I'm convinced as a pastor, if I don't help you to understand this, if you don't understand this scripture and the fact that while you're on this planet breathing this oxygen, if you don't understand the power of what's in the truth that's in this scripture, man, we're just going to get beat up and batted around by life. But if we engage with it and we recognize our responsibility, we can begin to do what Jesus came for us to do, which was to actually live out an abundant life. He came to give us life and live it abundantly. Because folks... You got your version notes open or your bulletin. We can just track along together because we have the power of choice. And as choosers, God desires us to choose life. And man, every once in a while, I wish God would just kind of make me choose life. And just make my decision for me. But he has not allowed us to abdicate our role. We're made in his image. He didn't give up his rights. to. That's part of what makes us autonomous is, is we have the ability to choose. And... Uh, he wants us to choose life. He gives us the cheat code. He says, go this direction. And we've been looking at Deuteronomy 30, 19 over and over and over again. And we'll continue to do such. Um, Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. Everything that he ever created that we can physically touch, even as the, the Hubble's telescope keeps looking further and further, all of that stuff. Discovered and undiscovered testify to this. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children, those that come behind you, those that are learning from your choice patterns, those that are reaping the consequences of your choices, can have life so that we can all have life. We are choosers. And some choices, we get lots of heads up about them. Like Keenan gradu just graduated, and we knew that decision was coming. We knew that the, one day it was going to show up, and we were holding him in our arms. When he's little tiny, it feels like it's forever away. And then all of a sudden, it's like here. And, but as it was coming up, everybody bombarded him with this question about, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And when he's a freshman, he's like, I just want to get out. You want to go to college? No, Dad, I don't want to go to college. I don't want to do school. I don't want to do those different things. And as a freshman in high school, he didn't have to know those different things. But these choices were coming up, and we're excited about it in August. I'm going to go to Christ for the Nations in Dallas and pursue uh, the, huh? Dear, I'm excited. She's not excited. It's a bittersweet excitement. But he's going to, uh, to pursue the, God's plan on his life. And he was up here strumming his guitar earlier and going to pursue uh, worship and music. And, um, uh, and so, but that decision was coming. And so some decisions we, we see coming and we can plan for them. Hopefully nobody gets blindsided by retirement. We see that one coming off, coming from a ways off. And we should begin to make provision for it. Hopefully we don't get blindsided by some of those different things. But there's some decisions that just boom. All of a sudden, we didn't see this coming. And we're just at the, and it's just on us. And we've got to have a tendency towards life. And we've got to bend towards that direction on purpose. And I'd had a different illustration here, but my grandparents are in town. And anytime you get a bunch of family together... 
then there's some stories get told. And my Mimo, uh, who uh, told a story to my sister yesterday, she related to us. My grandmother gave some, some dissertation on it about a decision, a moment of decision. And I have to say, I really do hope that, that, that this, is, this had a, an impact on who I am today because I, I love the thought mentality behind it. But they talk about my mom was about 15 years old and they were living in uh, Andrews. My grandfather was, did a milk truck thing and they had to go to La Misa and pick up some stuff and then they stayed for a football game and were coming back and my grandma was going to follow behind my papa in the milk truck and they were just going to track together. Well, somehow distractions take place, and, and my aunt pipes up and tells my grandmother that uh, I don't think we're on the right road. And she's like, oh, we're, she's like seven at the time, and she's like, we're, we're on the right road, we're good. And uh, she looks up, and about ten more miles down the road, she's like, we are not on the right road. And the uh, milk truck's nowhere to be seen, and so they're going down, and she finally figures out where they are and decides, instead of backtracking, that she, will figure she can just hook up with another highway. And keep going. So she's traveling down the road. Well, all of a sudden it quits being paved. And now it's a nice maintained county dirt road. And then you go down that a little bit ways. And she's running out of time. And probably going a little bit too fast. And, and as uh, the road quits being maintained so well. And through the middle of that road. She's coming along. Zip along at night. And uh, doing a thing that we call outrunning your headlights. And uh, comes to a, a ditch that crossed the road and uh, came to the moment of decision. And I didn't realize there was a decision to be made. There's a ditch in the road. You hit your brakes. I, I thought there was an option. My grandmother, she, I love it. She's an outside-the-box thinker. There was another option because she saw that if you hit her brakes, she was going to skid and the front of her car was going to be stuck down in the ditch and she was going to be stuck high-centered with her kids in the car in the middle of nowhere. So she made the courageous decision to gun it and jump the ditch. I love it. Move forward. No retreat. I love it. And my mom says she remembers jumping the ditch. And that was before mandatory seatbelt days. And everybody hits the top of the car. And I'm like, man, my, my Mima was the original Duchess of Hazard. She was uh, the, that would have been awesome to have seen. And uh, but you get in that place where the decision has to be made. And she decided she did not want to be stranded, stuck with her kids. And she decided to make a move towards life. That's what we have to do. We have to be bent towards life and, and staying in the word of God and connecting with the people of God and moving in that direction. That's what makes it happen. And most of us, when we think about making good decisions, we will tend to internalize this entirely too much and we'll say, how can I choose what is best for me? And honestly, if we're going to be people who choose life, then we're going to have to be people who think this way, that choosing life means choosing life for all that are involved. For everybody that's involved. If we come to a place in this decision. And these consequences. And I'm the only one coming out of this good. That's probably not the life giving decision. If I choose life at the place of, of the detriment to others. I need to reevaluate this. Because this may not be a life giving decision. This may not be life involved. There are times that that's the case. There are times. 
that somebody else has to suffer because they put themselves in that position, whether it's the SWAT team going in and they're having to, to use lethal force as a last resort. No, that's, that's a detriment on that end, but it was life-giving for everyone else involved. There are those moments, but we need to reevaluate those. We don't hit those every day, thank goodness. Most of the time, there's a decision that leads to life for everybody. See, choosing life and, and that connects with everybody, that's what Memorial Day is all about. Aren't we thankful that there are people who make career choices that, that aren't completely selfish? Anybody that joins the military knows that one day they've got to make a decision, possibly, that's for life for everybody but them. For everybody involved but them. That's what Memorial Day is all about, is this concept of self-sacrifice in our our mentality of choosing life cannot get drilled down to say, what is the choice that makes me not sacrifice, makes me not have to give up anything, makes me not have to endure a little bit of temporary hardship. Oh, that must be the best decision involved. Memorial Day is a celebration for the fact that, you know what, that sometimes choosing what's best for others is the, be is the life-giving decision. Choosing to give up some stuff, that is the life-giving decision. And as believers, my, thank goodness Jesus did that and was, our, was the predecessor and laid that pattern. We talked about in love invasion that, that while we were enemies, he laid down his life. How incredible. See, Matthew twenty two thirty nine 39 <clears throat> tells us to love your neighbor as yourself. That was the old covenant standard. We could boil all of it down, all of the precepts and laws and all that to love God and love others. Jesus said that himself, you could boil it down. But guess what? It's hard enough for us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But Jesus takes it to a new place. He takes it to a new place. John 15 says, my commandment is this. He's already spent all this time with his disciples. And he says, love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. It's that kind of embrace that leads us to a man named Stephen who eventually is willing to give up his life. And his accuser said that he had the face of an angel as they are stoning and hitting him with rocks until his death, is, his life is gone from him. And he did it out of love while he gave his life for his enemies. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. That's pretty awesome. That's what we're celebrating Memorial Day. But to take it to another place, we've got to tap into the heart of God. We've got to do this. We have to begin to think about the consequences to other people. And that's an incredible sign of maturity. We're celebrating again. I've talked about Keenan's graduation. He's 18 years old. And, and we believe that he's down this process towards, you know, good ways towards manhood. And, and we started this process on purpose Back when he turned 13, and we do a big thing in our family when a kid turns, uh, but when they turn 12, they begin to, to study up for a year, and, and then we have a big party, and they have to give a speech and read the New Testament and all these different things. And, and we begin the process in 1 Corinthians 13 on purpose. It says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And we say that this becoming process starts now. And you're a child, and one day we're going to look up and you're going to be a man. And, and at that 13, we do a bunch of stuff publicly, and, I, and there's a, some, some commitments that we, we challenge our kids with. And I made a, one of that we, we do privately. 
I'm talking to Kenan, and, and we've already done the party, and I'm talking to him about, about making a, a decision to, to live his life a, a holy unto Christ and to, to follow him in every area. And uh, this drills down in one area in particular and saying, all right, son, do you, you want to do this? You're the one that has to live this out. And, you know, I'm ready for an answer. And he says, can I think about it? What? What? What do you mean, can you think about it? But it's got to be his decision. So, sure, think about it. So it takes a few days. And I just leave it on the table and don't say anything. And about three or four days later, we're taking a run to, uh, to the mall. And we're in the vehicle together. And he says, hey, Dad, uh, you remember that thing you talked to me about? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember. Very conscious. <laughs> Waiting on this decision. And uh, uh, I remember it. And he said, uh, Dad, I, I, want, I want to do it. I want to do it. I said, awesome, awesome. That was the end of it for a minute. We get to the mall, and we're walking around the mall. And, and uh, he pipes up, and he says, you know, I, I know it's the right decision, and I know it's going to bless my life, and I, I want to do it. He said, but, Dad, I also thought, he said, because at that point I had four younger siblings, and I didn't have Colin yet. And he said, Dad, I, I sit there and I thought about it. He said, 13, so impressed with him. He said, Dad, I thought about it. And he said, and I know you're going to have this same conversation with my brothers and sisters. And I don't, I wanted to say, what, what if they asked Dad, what decision did I make? What if they say, Dad, what did Keenan say? He said, and I wanted, I wanted them <sighs> to hear from your lips that, that I made this decision. We're in the middle of, he hits me with this in the middle of Sunset Mall. <laughs> I'm just about to just be a puddle and cry. I'm like, this is the last thing this 13-year-old boy wants. He's a crying dad beside him. <laughs> and uh, I'm pulling it together. And I'm just like, ah, he, he thought about the people that it, else that it impacted. Oh, my gosh, how, how huge, how awesome. That is, that is the life giving decision when we understand that we are not islands unto ourselves god did not create us that way no person is no one and our decisions have these pools and these they reach and we have to be willing to understand that and make our decisions understanding there are reaching consequences and think about the others involved see choosing life often requires a willingness to hold the needs of others higher than your own and today for the rest of the service we're going to drill down into a story about a lady named esther and some of you may already be familiar with it and some of you say i may say i've never even heard i didn't even know there was an esther in the bible and the story of esther is a beautiful story that that fits memorial day so perfectly and, I, and even more so than than uh, than i fully understood before i really started looking down into it because this is a story of of a woman making a decision not based on herself, but based on everybody else that was involved. The story opens up in Esther chapter 1. There's a whole book devoted towards her story. And there we find this, this king is throwing this big party. If we, if we had the big movie scene up here on the screen, then we would immediately, boom, have the opening title, and then boom, there's the party scene. You've got people of all these nationalities, because this king that's throwing this party is this man named Xerxes I. 
And then a lot of historians believe that this, this Xerxes, they don't call him Xerxes the first in the Bible, and there's multiple Xerxes in history, but most historians believe this is Xerxes the first. And if you know anything about Xerxes the first, you maybe remember a, a story about uh, a man named Leonidas and his 300 Spartans, and that they went to war against Xerxes the first and his incredible million-man Persian army. Most historians believe this is that Xerxes that guy and he's throwing this party and he decides that he's all he the bible says this man that they just had plenty of wine and the and the king said let everybody drink the way they want to drink and this party had gone on for like seven days and they're partying it up and and he's well drunk the bible says and he decides that he's going to bring out his beauty queen Vashti. she's the gorgeous one and he wants to show her off and he calls for her to come and, and get all prettied up and he's going to parade her in front of all his generals and all his people and let them see what a honey he's got for a queen. Now, I think Queen Vashti was imported from West Texas because she says, uh-uh, buddy, you're not parading me around. And uh, she denies. She says, no, I'm not coming. I'm not doing it. And she bows up to Xerxes, this guy, this legendary figure. And she says, uh, uh everybody freaks out. Like, we can't have this. And they're like, all the little underlings like, man, if my wife founds out that Vashti bows up to him, she ain't never obeying me again. We're about to lose control. The women are going to go off the rails. We got to do something. And so they immediately rip her of her crown. She's not the queen. And so we've got to find a new queen. So now this concept of this beauty pageant takes place. And, and some, if on a glossy reading of this story, would see, uh, see this, this fairy tale like thing of this, this prince looking for the most lovely woman in all the land and making her his queen. And it is not a fairy tale. It is not. Here's this maniacal man looking for a new showpiece. And he begins to implement this. And. Uh, I've put, your, I've put some of the scriptures there on the screen, and you, I challenge you to read Esther. It's an enjoyable read. If you're, if you're new to reading the Bible, you'll enjoy reading it. It's in, full of intrigue and plot twists, and it, it's, a, it's a great, great story. And I, I challenge you to read Esther. You'll, you'll just eat it up in one sitting. And uh, so then we, uh, we jump down to uh, Esther chapter 2 in verse 7, and, and here we come across for the first time this man named, this man named Mordecai. And Mordecai was a Jew, and he was, he was living as a captive there, but he, but he, was, he was not a slave. He was a, he was a guy who had an official office, and, and he was able to function and have a life. And, and he had a niece named Hadassah, and she became an orphan somehow. Her mother and father both passed away, and Hadassah needs a family. And, and cousin Mordecai, older cousin Mordecai, adopts her and begins to raise her as his own. And we're going to jump here in verse 7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. And this young woman who <clears throat> was known as Esther had a lovely figure. It's self-explanatory. And was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter where her, her mother and father had died. And when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa. And put under the care of Haggai, Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, <coughs> Haggai, or however you say it, who had charge 
of the harem. So here she is. She is this little, little Jewish girl living in this foreign land. Said they're without father or mother. We don't see any siblings. Her known family is just destroyed and living with a cousin who takes care of her and raises her. She's got to be having thoughts of her family of her own. She's got to be thoughts of, of some, some young guy coming and, and obviously taking a look at her. She, she's gorgeous. She's, she's, been, she's been brought into this, to this beauty uh, contest thing. And she's been pulled into this. She had to have had a desire to, to be a wife and to, to have her own family. And all of a sudden now she begins, she's property of this Xerxes man. And then they go through and they get her ready and they take a year. She's already gorgeous and it says that she goes through a year of, of beauty preparations. So they make her as beautiful as she possibly can be. And then she gets her interview with the king. Starts in the evening, ends in the morning. We can decide what kind of interview that was. And uh, as soon as that interview is over, she now lives in a new place of the palace where the concubines live. Where now she is, whether he decides to make her queen or not, she's his property in every form of the word. And she goes in and she's had favor all along with everybody that she's come in contact with. And she goes in and the king likes her. And decides when it's all said and done after he meets her and all that entails. And he says, you know what, this is my new queen. And Mordecai had said, don't let anybody know your heritage. Keep that quiet. So she, she keeps that down. And we see that in verse 10. Esther verse 10 says, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. And then we pick up there and now in Esther chapter 3. And now a new person comes into the story, and it's a man named Haman. And Haman is this guy who is also not of nat Persian nationality. He's an Agagite. And if you're a Bible scholar and you understand these different things, that there was a king, King Agag, who was the, ended up being connected with the downfall of King Saul. King Saul had, had a big battle, wins a victory, and God says, annihilate everybody. And so Saul decides he's not going to do it. He decides it's going to be cooler if I take Agag and I have him bound and in chains and I parade him around. And Samuel gets on to him and says, you're, going, you're, the, you're no longer going to be part of the kingly lineage. The, the kingly thing is now going to pass on to another because of this. And then it was one of Agag's descendants that finally finds his place into this story. And Xerxes and one of they begin to pass some, some rules. So here we are, we're going to read in verse 1 and 2. It says, After these events, Xerxes honored Haman, <coughs> the son of Ag Agaiah, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all that of the other nobles and all that royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. He was not going to do it. He worshipped the one true God, and he was not going to worship a man. Well, guess what? We see, jump a couple of verses later, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. He Now this guy is so mad and so angry, he plots not just murder, homicide, he plots genocide. He wants to kill every relative of Mordecai. He wants to wipe out the Jewish nation. 
And in case you didn't know, Hitler was not the first person in history to make an all-out assault on the Jewish nation. They have been persecuted and attacked over and over and over again throughout history, and this is one more of those accounts. And Haman comes at him and, and, and attacks that. And of course, our Messiah, Jesus, is coming through the Jewish nation. We need a win. All of us do. And so here this begins to take place. And, and Haman and, and what begins this, 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 this stir. And he finally tells the king, and he puts it in his ear, man, there's a group of people that live in your country, and they've been troublemakers throughout history, and we need to just get rid of them. Well, they are a people connected and interconnected. They have all sorts of nationalities. He rules over a huge domain, a huge area. So they come up with a plan that what we're going to do is we're going to take one day. We're going to put one day and put it off in the distance, and we're going to let everybody know that on this day that you can attack Jews and there's going to be no retribution. There's a movie coming up called The Purge that sounds a little bit kind of like this, 12 hours of no law, and you do whatever you want, and they attack that's the plan. They said you attack them, you can kill them, do it, and you can have whatever's theirs. You can plunder their houses. You can take all their stuff. So all of a sudden, man, you just go and take out a Jew and you can have their goods. So they're, they're sitting there and they're, they're being, ever being, everybody's being stirred up against this. So now, here is Esther. Dreams shattered. She is stuck. Yes, she's the queen, but she's a figurehead. It doesn't mean anything. She has no power. She has no nothing. She can never marry. She can never have real love. She can never have any of these different things. And she is living this life of quiet desperation in a gorgeous jail cell. And now all of her entire kinship are being targeted for murder. And nobody knows she's involved. Nobody knows she's a Jew. She can just sit back. Nobody's going to attack the palace. She could just kind of hide out. And this is get set. And then we jump forward to Esther chapter 4. And then we're going to look in verse 12. It said, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai. Well, let me, first let me tell you. She, she had not been seen. The king at this point had not called for her for 30 days. Okay. The king had not wanted to visit with her, talk to her. Xerxes didn't want to have anything to do with her for 30 days. So she doesn't know. She doesn't know if he's mad or anything. There's a rule because he's so hated that if anybody approaches the king without being summoned, then his guards just whoop, kill him, no matter who it is. And she lays that out. And, and Mordecai asks her, go do something. Your people are being going to be attacked. Go do something. She's like, I've not been called for. He doesn't want to see me. He doesn't want to talk to me. And if I walk in there, they're going to take me out. The only thing is, is if he extends his scepter and says, it's cool. I'm fine that she's here. And so Mordecai begins to have this response. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. And she's having to grapple with this. That all of this craziness of her life. That maybe she's been positioned for this. To save an entire group of people. 
And she does it. So there she is. She can either hide and maybe hope to live herself as queen of all the land, even though she's a Jew. Or she can go risk her life and approach a king that had wanted to talk to her for 30 days. Maybe he's mad. Maybe he doesn't want to. He signed off on this edict. Maybe as soon as he she reveals she's a Jew, maybe she'll be slain right then. And she has to grapple with this. And she says, go rather to all the house, to all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will fast and do the same. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The needs of the more, of the greater, are more important. If it requires my sacrifice and me being willing to lay it down, I will. As we read the story, it moves forward. She goes in. King was happy to see her, extends the scepter. I won't, there's some more plot twists, and I encourage you to read the story, and it's pretty intriguing on how everything goes down, and she brings it very cunningly, reveals Haman's plot against her people, turns everything on its head, and it comes out, and the Jewish nation gets its own Memorial Day type thing called Purim, which comes about that is celebrated to this day. That this thing that ended up going to be a, a, a could have been a slaughter and is now a national holiday because God just turns it on its head, because this lady comes in, and steps in and life is changed because she was willing to make the sacrifice. See, folks, choosing life means choosing love, and love is not self-seeking. Pursuing God, God loves you and He wants good for you, but we do not pursue God simply because we want all only good for us. This is not a selfish thing. It's not a selfish thing to follow Christ. It is a wise, it is a good thing for you, but it can't be selfishly motivated. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, it is, Love is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. See, Micah 6, 8 says that he's shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require, but to act justly. Don't do wrong to somebody else. To love mercy. And when it's in within your power and there's time for mercy, give it. And <clears throat> to walk humbly. To honor others above ourselves. See, that's what Jesus did. Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't wrong anybody. He extended mercy and he willingly laid down his life. Jesus was the fulfillment of that. And as Christ followers, our life should reflect it. See, God desires to take each of us forward with him. And this forward of growth happens. Choice by choice. But let's choose to follow him and choose life. We've got to understand the magnitude of our choices. We've got to understand that what it is to, to live in light of what God wants to do in and through us. And it really is an awesome thing. And our lives can, for the good, impact so many people. It is a beautiful thing that God chooses to work through you and I. And folks, this starts right here. It starts right here where we recognize that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that we need Him. That in and of ourselves, all we will do is continue to be selfish individuals, living selfish lives, trying to scrape together for me and mine, and that's it. But that we, that is destructive. If we all did that, we would bite and devour one another and destroy each other. But if we all lived Christ-like, if we all pursued the best for each other, well, folks, that actually looked like heaven. 
that would actually look like heaven. And we understand that we need Christ for that. We need a new life on the inside. It's not, this isn't about us pushing down our selfish nature. This is about the God nature living on the inside of us. That's what this is about. So if you're here this morning and say, you know what, Brandon, I need that. I need Jesus as my Savior. I need to be new on the inside. I've gone toe-to-toe with my selfishness, and I've hurt people, and I've hurt myself over and over again, and I need new life. I need to do this different. If that's you, then let's do that this morning. Let's embrace the fresh life that Jesus Christ has to offer. I appreciate everybody, everybody bow your heads.